how to put clients at the center of your business. That's what we're going to talk about today. And when you think about it, we are only in business for as long as clients are paying us. So it makes sense to put your clients at the very, very, very center of what you do and to build a business around their needs so you're able to create value in a mutually profitable way, in a way that benefits both parties. Now, in order to be the most successful, a great mindset to have is by starting with the client, starting with the customer and working backwards from from them, their needs, and building all of your services around and even your mindsets around adding value to them. Because when you add value to them, they're going to add value to you. That's how you're going to make a profit. And so all this is intuitive, but there's a few different ways that as an advisor, you can add clients to the center of your business model. And it shows up in your business model, model, it shows up in your marketing, it shows up in your your methodology. And what you want to be thinking about is a few different things. So I'm going to get into the five main ways to put clients at the center of your business, because at the end of the day, that's the thing that's going to help you to be most successful and to uh, grow a sustainable, profitable business. This is number one, this is true as an advisor. It's also true if you're doing freelance and agency work as well, is to be a fiduciary. So I tell this story quite often, but there's, I used to have my investments at a bank and had a, had a balanced mutual fund as the, the thing that I, that I started with. And the bank put me into, I asked what, what I should invest in. I want to be balanced. They gave me the know your customer questionnaire. And they basically put me in what's called their balanced fund. And Long story short, that was fine because I had no idea what to how to invest my money. But eventually, a few years later, I wanted to be I wanted to do self directed investing, and so they basically changed my account from being sort of under their scope, where I had to talk to an advisor to make any changes, to being able to make my own investment decisions. And the first thing they said once they converted my account was, "Hey, by the way, you can still keep that fund that you were in, the balanced mutual fund. However, you're going to get you would actually get one one percent less in management fees, which was like I think the fees were three percent or something. Regardless of performance, they would take three percent of my assets um, as a management fee, which is crazy to me, but it is what it is. And so now I could have it for like two percent. But the thing that's funny is that first of all, on two 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 areas, I never had. I never asked them for advice after that first purchase decision, if you will. And I just kept dumping money into this balanced mutual fund, which frankly didn't really perform very well anyway. And yet they were taking their 3% fees and now I'm getting charged 2% and not three. And, you know, so the whole thing was funny because I wasn't actually getting advice, but they were taking that fee. And so what it taught me was that the bank is really there to give you one of their products right? Not any product because there were way better funds and, and options out there with much lower fees. So they were just, a, they, they were doing what it, what's called a suitability standard of advice, which is to give you something that's suitable for your risk tolerance and is good enough. Uh, unlike say a fiduciary standard of advice, which is what I'm adv- advocating for you, which is the fiduciary's uh, number one principle is that they have to act in your best interest above their own. So any investments that they're making, they need to disclose. They can sell any product or offer any product or suggest or recommend any product under the sun. They're not limited to whatever is available for them to sell within their own company. And they take a fixed fee versus a management fee. So there's all these differences. But the number one thing is that they basically act in your best interest for a fixed fee. And that's a really interesting dynamic. Another quick example that I'll talk to you about, and this is just to kind of demonstrate not the ethics of any of this, but the experience for the client. And that's really what we're trying to get at is the client experience and also the value that's being created. So the second story I'll tell you is about a nutritionist that I worked with in the past, or they were a holistic uh, health person, something or other. But part of what they did was nutrition. And so then, you know, after working together, they did some what felt like very much woo-woo, you know, checking my frequencies to see what I was allergic to kind of stuff. Anyway, um, 
he ended up recommending a bunch of supplements that would help various things. And, but then he suggested that I buy them through his online portal. It was kind of like a drop shipping thing from a reputable nutrition source, we'll call it. Uh, and then the question then came as to like, okay, he's like, you can get them anywhere, but mine are really good. So you may as well just get them for me, which kind of felt like, kind of felt like neutral advice. The only thing is that they, that by, I'm like, I kind of begged the question, do I really need all these supplements and when do I not need them anymore? Do I have to go back to the back to him and say, Hey, do I still need these so-and-so supplements and are they working? And, and, you know, it's very vague as to what, you know, you can't always see the impact of these things. And, and I wished, I wished, and this is again about the experience, not the ethics. There's nothing wrong with the ethics. And probably he did have a reputable source. They were fairly priced, all that stuff. So it was a service to me, but it made me wonder whether I could take his advice, whether I should be taking all those supplements at all. And, or if that was really how he made his money, because he had to pay, he had to pay what you want model, which is a whole other discussion for another day. I felt obligated to pay him all of his fees. And I actually paid him a little bit more than his fees the first time. And he was really surprised. And I guess I had made a dumb mistake there. Pay what you want meant, you know, here's my fee recommendation, pay, pay, pay less if you, if you have to. Um, anyway, so my, my, my concern was, is he, is that where he really makes his money is the ongoing supplements, almost like the back end of, of his nutrition advice. Uh, and so it kind of made me wonder, like if he didn't sell those, those, those supplements at all, I think I would be in a better place to trust that. Yes. He's like, I don't make money here. This is my recommendation. I think you should do this. Here's why here's for how long, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas he kind of wrote an open-ended recommendation and sort of said, yeah, come back to me. We can talk in the future. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. And probably he was giving me great advice, but because there was that financial incentive for me to be taking the supplements as well, it did make me wonder as to how important those supplements were. And from a marketing standpoint, which is what most of you are, not all of you, is when you're selling advice and execution in terms of broad holistic advice, in his case, it was holistic health with nutrition as a component, uh, but in your case, it might be marketing strategy and business strategy overall, to then say, well, you can get your website from anyone, but if you get it from me, you know, like it's really good and yes, it's convenient and you should pay $30,000 for that new website which is different than say a web designer who's focused on the web design aspect, right? Obviously you go to a web designer, they're going to recommend you a service. There's nothing, again, there's nothing wrong with all of this and going to a web designer is different than going to someone giving you holistic business advice or marketing advice where, uh, where there's many parts and you're managing a budget and that sort of thing, which is what marketing advisors do. So, it's not that there's a problem with doing implementation and giving advice. It's just that suddenly you run into this issue where, okay, should I, you make the client decide for themselves whether they're making the right investment decision because yes, they trust you generally and to make good decisions, but they also know you're selling them something. So you're no longer being a neutral trusted advisor. You're kind of a salesperson, a consultative salesperson. And again, nothing wrong with that. It just makes a different client experience than if you don't make money uh, from the implementation that you charge a fixed fee for your advice and don't take kickbacks, referrals, affiliates, none of that stuff while you're in an advisory retainer with them. That's to me the best form because then you're saying, look, I don't care which way you choose. I don't care whether you buy the twenty dollars or $30,000 website. All I care about is getting a business outcome based on your budget. Here's who I recommend we work with. I don't take fees. There's no backends. There's nothing for me here other than my fees. So the client can kind of relax from the experience perspective. They know, okay, you know, that something about incentives does change things, at least from the perception of the client, but also from how you act and recommend things. It's really hard. You know, that's why conflict of interest, which is not what I'm talking about here, but I am talking about conflict of incentives, but that's why conflict of interest is such a, 
really important thing for the professional services, for legal professionals and financial professionals, uh, especially in politicians and other things, because the incentives that are operating underneath the surface really do motivate us, even if we have the best intentions. So again, nothing wrong with selling, uh, you know, agency services or web design services, that sort of thing. That's the, the norm. And there's n- there's no ethical problem with that whatsoever. Just the experience of if you're selling neutral advice, in this case, if you're selling impartial, which is kind of what I recommend, neutral advice, then you have to disconnect execution from from your own uh, from your own uh, fees, uh, so that you can provide fixed fee for your best advice and your best thinking and the oversight of that. Uh, and that's to me the most aligned with the fiduciary standard because you're putting you're actually leaving money on the table because you could probably make markup and you could make more money from all these other implementation pieces, but uh, but you're not. You're keeping them separate and you're saying I don't care if we do this or that, but here's what I recommend we do. And that allows you to be the most impartial and to operate in their best interest at all times. So these are just a couple of stories that kind of accentuate this a little bit. However, it's totally fine if you want to sell execution and advice at the same time. A fractional CMO will often do um, some some light implementation, some management, and give general advice. And that's fine as long as you know maybe there's a fixed fee component to it where there's a set number of hours or something. Uh, it just gets a little bit hairy when you're like, well, should it be a twenty or $30,000 thing and you're the one who benefits from a higher price versus a lower price? That's where it gets a little bit tricky and then the client has to then advocate for themselves. So you want to be a fiduciary because it's the true form of advocacy for your clients and the best way to do that is by removing implementation from your advisory work. And, uh, and so we'll leave it at that. But again, there's no challenge ethically or morally or anything with the traditional Um, agency style work. It's just when you want to create the best experience where you're sitting on the side of the table of your client and really truly feeling like you're on their team and they feel like you're on their team because, because they know you're aligned with their incentives or at least that there's no incentives to, to spend more than they should or, or less for that matter. That's when you can work the best as a fiduciary and you're taking a fixed fee versus percent of execution, for example. So that's number one, be a fiduciary. Number two is having a low self-orientation. So this is something that if you're nervous during, whether it's a, anything from a sales conversation to consulting engagements to like you know, during during your advisory work, uh, even to a podcast appearance or to writing a blog post, if you're kind of nervous and you're feeling that imposter syndrome, if you take that feeling and actually just say, you know what, it's not about me. This is about helping someone else. You know, as Seth Godin says, if someone were drowning in the water, would you wait to save them to find, you know, until you had a, uh, a life, um, uh, like a lifeguard certification? No, you'd go in and you'd help them. So by taking the orientation when your focus away from you and pointing it to your clients and saying, how can I help? I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. That's going to take a bunch of stress off your shoulders and allow you to focus on your clients and their needs first and foremost above everything else. It also then allows you to say, okay, instead of saying how profitable will this be for me, you get to say, okay, here's what you're trying to accomplish. Here's the value of what you're trying to accomplish and I can help you. And, but based on the value that we're going to create together and how long you're going to take to recuperate that value, uh, my fees need to be somewhere in this particular range. For example, when I coach advisors, it's my fees are significantly less on a per hour basis than I, than it would be when I work with larger businesses. And that's just because the value I create isn't in the millions. I mean, it might be, but that'll be over a few years. Whereas when I'm helping companies, the difference between, you know, 
working with me or not might be in the several hundreds of thousands or millions in the first year or two. And so the, the amount I can charge is, is dramatically different. But be, knowing that, then I have to sort of work backwards from that and say, here's the scope of what, what an engagement looks like together. Here's how, you know, here's how we, how we do it. Here's the price of it. And then, and like, you know, the price kind of determines the scope. So it's really focused on, okay, who's your client? What are they trying to achieve? What's the value of that achievement? And then how do I create something for a price that allows them to capture a lot of value, allows you to capture commensurate value, um, and then therefore determine the scope of it based on, based on the value. And so that requires you thinking about the client and having a client orientation above your own so that you can work backwards from that and create your own scope and services. So that's number two is having a low self-orientation. Number three is having unlimited access to you. And this is a big one. I think all my, all my advisory services, aside from a one-off call has unlimited access to me. The question then becomes who has unlimited access to me. So higher tiers, more people have unlimited access to me. Um, the other one is like, you know, how are they going to contact me? So lower tier ticket, I typically say it's on our calls and in Slack. And maybe we do one or two calls a month and then it's unlimited Slack access between calls. So you're able to kind of dis- decide or it's unlimited, you know, one big call or two big calls and then unlimited short calls with some Slack in between. Or there's email potentially, or you can call my personal cell phone or text me. These would all be different ways that they can connect with you and who can connect with you is the other thing because that limits some of the interaction or at least keeps it consolidated, keeps it organized and therefore restricts the amount of energy intensity that goes into it. Other things might be like, well, what are you going to advise on? Or what are you, what's in, within scope or not? If the client has four businesses, are you going to talk about all four businesses or are you only going to focus on one? These would be other metrics, but unli- but generally speaking within the confines of what you've created within the guardrails, there's unlimited access to you. So the client doesn't have to think, well, is this worth 500 bucks for me to call this person to ask this question or 200 bucks, whatever the thing is. And that's what you want to kind of avoid. So I like having this unlimited so that people know I don't have to think about it. If I have a question related to this problem that I'm solving, I get to, I get to call Kevin or I get to call so-and-so. And that really creates a lot of peace of mind. It, it's all about that client experience. So they're not wondering, geez, like four people showed up in that last agency call. I'm like, was that worth $600 to me uh, based on the hourly rate of all the individuals? And so you don't want them thinking like that at all. You want, you want to be, you want them to be okay with the the fees, knowing the end result, and then um, and then having a scope that makes it really easy so that they're not like really thinking about uh, how to use you and when to use you and what not to do. Ideally, it should feel very flexible within the confines you create. So that's that's three is having unlimited access to you. So we've talked about being a fiduciary, which is a form of advocacy in my mind. We've talked about having a low self orientation, being very client focused. Number three is having unlimited access to you. Number four is trying to solve the entire problem related to what you do. So a lot of people mistake advisors for being people who kind of wave their hands, tell you what to do and then leave. But it's really your job to say, okay, here's the right recommendation. How are we going to solve this? And maybe it's not me that goes and does all these things, but at least we break down the problem together. And the best advisors bring templates, they bring training, they bring resources, they bring introductions, they bring you know, knowledge to the table about how to do things. And so they may not be the ones to use their hands necessarily. They may not write the job description, but they might show you a sample of a recent job description, you know, or help find something that resembles a job description. They may bring in people to do execution work based on their trusted network, their Rolodex, if you will. These are things that are going to help 
the client solve the problem and not make new problems for the clients based on your advice. And so that's the main thing is, okay, you're not here to kind of give, give advice. You're here to help them make the right decisions and then, and then be able to see it through. And if they're not able to see it through, help them remove the roadblocks so that it's easier and more effortless to get the result. So solving the entire problem about what you do, if the client is looking for more leads and you have all these ideas, uh, it's great to have ideas, but it's like, how are you going to help them actually get this thing done? So that's the next part. Solving the entire problem uh, with training, templates, introductions, resources, et cetera, et cetera. That's going to really help uh, to own the whole problem so that you're not leaving them with half a problem solved. And that's the big deal here. Number five, uh, in terms of putting your clients at the epicenter of your business to create that experience that is so critical is having a niche or specialization. So either you're, you're, you're specialized on the target market or you're specialized on the problem that they have. And you may solve a couple problems or you might help a couple markets, but the more focused you are on either the problem or the target market, or sometimes both, the more you're going to be really focused on you know, in, in business terms, there's something called vertical integration. So they pick the target market, for example, and then they offer software, hardware, services. They offer all the different things that, that would go towards, number four, solving the entire problem. But they're able to stack all these solutions up because they know their target market, for example. And so they're able to solve many, many problems because they're focused on a very clear target market. And so if you're doing, whether you're doing a focus on the vertical, the type of clientele, or the type of problem you want to the more you specialize, the the more effective you're going to be at understanding and addressing the nuances that are involved in getting a business result. And that's the biggest kind of challenge there. So at the end of the day, if you're focused on your clients, one of the best ways you can do that is through specialization and focus. And obviously you can borrow examples from other industries and other examples, but then contextualizing it and applying it to that industry is really where your core skill comes into play. And so the more you can over time specialize on the problem and or the audience, the the more client-centric you're going to be at the end of the day, because you're going to have all those little sub-variant answers uh, ready and at your disposal. So just to summarize quickly, uh, five ways to put clients at the epicenter of your business to create that remarkable client experience. One, be a fiduciary. Two, have a low self-orientation, be very client-centric, make it about them, and it kind of removes all this internal dialogue you have going on and, and uh, confidence challenges and whatnot. Number three, have unlimited access to you and constrain that or keep guardrails on that in certain ways, but then create, make it unlimited so that people know within these highways, I'm able to flow back and forth as much as I want. Number four, solve the entire problem. So if you're a content strategist, well, how do you help them get writers? How do you help them create topics? How do you help them create keywords and SEO? How do you solve that entire problem related to what you do? And number five is try to own a a niche or a specialization in vertical or uh, a problem. And that'll really help you solve it abundantly well versus trying to be a generalist and then kind of helping everybody just a little bit which is which is which is still helpful but obviously if you want to be the most client centric create the best possible client experience with with and for your clients uh these are some of the tips that have worked best for me so hope this helps my friends and uh i'll leave it there for now as always if you get value out of this podcast recommend it share it with a friend in the notes there'll be a link to the to the blog post i have related to this audio you could either just cop uh, share this this link with them or uh or uh or, or send them to my website and get them on my mailing list because it's a really cool crash course right on the homepage on selling your expertise not your hands so i'll leave it there my friends and i look forward to chatting with you next time bye for now